Kevin Serace is a Silicon Valley innovator, serial entrepreneur, CEO, TV personality, and edutainer. Kevin has been featured by Business Week, Time, Fortune, Forbes, CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox News, and has keynoted hundreds of events. Today, we're talking about chat GPT, AI, and automation, its impact on your life and your company, bringing Silicon Valley disruptive innovation to your organization and digital transformation. Up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does, it's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Today, we're talking with Kevin Serace. Kevin, uh, you've got an a, a incredible background in entrepreneurship, all, all sorts of things, not even sure where to begin. So let's start with that. Take us back. Give us a little bit about your background. Oh, my goodness. I've been starting companies uh, mostly in Silicon Valley uh, for uh, 37, 38, maybe 39 years, uh, a very, very long time. So I must have started when I was five. Uh, but... <laughs> but, but um, but, but, you know, I got the entrepreneurial bug uh, even when I was a kid uh, growing up in upstate New York, uh, you know, had my own little businesses of repairing radios or TVs or things like this or building speakers and, you know, really enjoyed uh, um, really being one's own boss. Of course, you quickly figure out you're not your own boss, but at least you are for the first few weeks it's until fallacy, right? <laughs> investors get involved and boards get involved and all of that. But uh, really, really enjoyed uh, you know, sort of building my own business, probably just as you, Joe, enjoy having your own podcast. Who am I going to have on? What are we going to talk about? How am I going to edit it? When am I going to put it out? What am I going to say? You know, there's just joy in that, right? Yeah, and not for everybody. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. We can talk about that if you want, but, but, um, but when it is for you, um, and you, and you're willing to fail a lot, you're willing to fail a lot, listen to my words, then, um, it's just a great experience. You know, I think a lot of folks getting out of the military, they, they hop out and they, they make a first stab at some business or entrepreneurial venture and it, it doesn't go well. It may not even totally fail. It just doesn't work very well. Right. And they're like, well, right. it's entrepreneurship thing. I'm not cut out for it. And they, and they walk away from it. But as you start to fail your way through entrepreneurship, you're, you know, entrepreneurship is a process and you, you start to learn those processes and you just go get another idea and run it through the same process. And when your process gets really good, then you find your, your, find some success in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story of a guy who used to work for me. His name's David, and uh, he has passed away now. He was a little bit older, but he did uh, company after company after company. Some of them he started, some of them he joined as VP of Sales, and he just had this bug. He wanted to do it. Didn't make it the first time. Didn't make it the second time. Didn't make it the third time. But on the 13th time, literally the 13th company, he made $100 million. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. But he was the kind of guy that just had the attitude that goes, that's okay. Look at what I learned. I'm going to get up and do it again. I'm going to get up and do it again. I'm going to get up and do it again. And, and, and entrepreneurship is all about being wrong, not right. It's all about learning from those failures. And in fact, even in Silicon Valley companies that are well-funded and and. and yeah, who knows if they're well-managed, but smart kids, smart people, whatever it is around it, 
what you find is they cycle through as many as five or more business models before they land on the right one. And hopefully they're cycling through it fast. So they're listening fast and, 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 and turning that around fast, which is the trick. But if you think that your idea is the right one, you're already dead. Your idea is a good starting point. Yeah. Now you might get a little funding or you might have more time or whatever. And you start working that. And then you go out and you listen to your clients, your potential clients, your prospects. The prospects tell you something completely different. And what you want to say, especially since you came from the armed forces, what you want to say is, no, 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 you don't understand. I know how to conquer the hill. Yeah. I got this. You guys are all wrong. You're just not seeing my vision. No, actually, they don't want what you have. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're telling you exactly. They don't want what you are making, right? You've got a solution looking for a problem. And so then you have to say, well, what is your problem? And they say, well, my problem isn't this. It's actually this thing over here. And I know what you want to say. You want to say, no, you still, you just don't see it my way. No, no, no. They see it their way. And when they tell you that, what they're saying is, I have money and I want to give it to you and I want to buy your product, but I don't want to buy this product. I want to buy a product that solves my problem over here. So always job one, always job one is find an actual pain point that person after person after person says, that's a huge pain point for me. Number two, find a pain point where the people that you're talking to have money to pay you. So there are a lot of pain points in this world. You know, I don't know, world hunger, you know, pick right. it, right? They're hard to solve commercially because the people who have the pain have no money to pay you. So we know how to solve world hunger. You can, yeah, I'm making it. I'm going to be a little facetious here. You know, you can get a box of filet mignon and you can get, billions of filet mignon and you can fly them over to somewhere who will eat filet mignon and you can give them all filet mignon and lobster. There's only one problem. They can only pay you three cents for the filet mignon and lobster and it costs you 50 bucks to create it, cook it and get it there. Right. Right. And again, I'm being a little facetious for the, to make the point. The point is, is there are lots of problems to solve, but you have to have problems that are solvable for people who have money to pay you who have money to pay you. And those yeah. people solve a lot of their problems. So always look for problems that the people who want to buy it actually have the money to pay you. Yeah, and, yeah. and so that's, that's sort of number two. And number three, you're probably still wrong because what you produce even then isn't going to be exactly right, doesn't exactly solve your problem, doesn't exactly hit the cost point. And you have to do it. And, and then you have to cycle your business model three or four or five times very quickly. And, if, and, and those entrepreneurs who can do that in weeks and not months and not years still have money left at the end of that process where there's actually a product market fit. And once you got the product market fit, you know, people are begging you for the product that yeah. you can't, you can't make enough. It's really fascinating. Interesting. A saying we have in the military planning process is don't fall in love with your plan. Right. Whatever military mission planning you're putting together you've already fallen in love with your plan before you vetted it or murder boarded it in front of your, in, in front of your uh, compatriots here. And they're telling you, no, you need to do it this other way. That's not going to work, but you fall in love with your plan. And then you, you don't listen to the people around you, basically your customers. And, and it, that's it, it's right. The same if for a military relatable uh, concept. Yeah. Don't fall in love with the plan. It's pro <laughs> Don't fall in love with your product or idea. Before. It's wrong. I mean, the, the problem with military plans, you know this better than I do, is that things change every day. They shift every day. So the plan that might have been the best plan in the world yesterday is no longer the plan today because the enemy has changed their tactics or something else yeah. happened, right? Or exactly. there's new weapons brought in. You know, Iran gave them weapons, whatever the deal is, right? So it was a good plan. 
but but it's you know the the plan has to be updated all the time and this is true with market go to market plans product plans anything in entrepreneurship i don't care if you got a dry cleaner right something changed you're opening a dry cleaner the competitor down the street sees that and says 50 percent off dry cleaning for the next year you better change your plan which might include closing the dry cleaner yeah. You can't make money at that, right? I don't know what the deal is, right? So things change and you got to react to that. And your customer needs get, uh, uh, how do I say, uh, uh, they get more detailed and more thoughtful the closer you get to giving them something, right? So I've, you know, I have, I don't know, a can of something here that I think is just going to change the world. But, and, and I've listened to them and they say, I really want Blackberry Tangerine. But when they finally taste it, they go, you know, actually, I'd rather have Blackberry Orange. Just, oh my. All right, move. <laughs> I've been a Navy Federal member since 1990, and as a member-owned not-for-profit, Navy Federal puts members at the heart of every single thing that they do. Low fees and great rates, resources to help you crush your financial goals, 24-7 access to stateside member service representatives with award-winning customer service, a market-leading regular savings rate nearly two times the industry average. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their credit cards, and you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with the cash rewards card when you sign up for direct deposit. I have this card myself and it's great. When you use the Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. Low intro APR offers. And Navy Federal are members of the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Membership is required. Open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Your military experience taught you the importance of getting the job done right. But when you run a business, there's never enough time to tackle all of your priorities. Keeping up with all the email back and forth and social media takes a lot of time and focus. And balancing business with personal is also time consuming. Coordinating travel or planning an event is always more complicated than expected. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Squared Away. Squared Away empowers highly educated military spouses to become trusted remote executive assistants. Military spouses have drive and dedication. It's a great talent pool. Squared Away is on a mission to employ as many military spouses as possible. I love what this company is doing to support military families. Their assistants specialize in giving you time back to focus on what really matters. Whether you need administrative support for your team, an extra hand with a new project, or help with personal priorities, your Squared Away assistant will anticipate your needs to let you focus on high-return tasks. Squared Away teammates operate in all U.S. time zones and work as W-2 employees, not contractors. I highly recommend checking out Squared Away today. See how they can help you. Just go to GoSquaredAway.com. That's GoSquaredAway.com. All right, back talking with Kevin Serace. So, Kevin, we're on a roll here talking about, you know, don't fall in love with your plan. Don't fall in love with your product or service. It's probably wrong. Listen to the customer. These are the, these, sometimes this is referred to as pivots in business, or maybe not even a full pivot would be like a 90-degree turn or something, but maybe course corrections along the way. Entrepreneurs have to be really flexible with, they have to come up that, you know, they're new idea kind of people, but they also have to be willing to see what the need is. And like you said, when you, when you're trying to serve someone who doesn't have the ability to pay you, you either need to go, not to, a good go, plan. go to a different customer or I suppose some people are like, well, I know I'm starting a nonprofit. They don't have any way to pay me, but right. I know somebody that does have money, but now you're not in the business of running a nonprofit. You're in the business of raising money. You're in the business That's right. of, That's of right. soliciting people well, for donations. You're, you're always in the business of raising money when, when you're an entrepreneur, if you're, if you're going to build a real company, yeah. it, you know, generally speaking, 
large companies take a large amount of capital to make large. Yeah. Um, and that's just because when you've really got a product market fit, now you need sales and marketing and customer support and all these things. And the money isn't coming in fast enough to hire all that. Yes, there are examples where they did. Right. And, and I'm not talking again about a dry cleaner or bakery, right? That you can do with a little bit of money, a little bit of friends and family, but when you want to build something much larger, and of course, most people have, you know, I don't want to say grandiose visions of a Mark Zuckerberg and building something is worth a trillion dollars, but it's very reasonable today to build companies that are worth um, many millions, if not tens or hundreds of millions, if not trillion, uh, if not billions, at least. And it's very reasonable uh, uh, to do that, but it takes real capital to do that. And to get that real capital, you got to raise money from friends and family at first. Friends you got to use that fools, money. Right? Well, I mean, that's the place you go because no one else <laughs> is going to give you any money, but they believe in you and your yeah. idea. You're going to churn that idea or pivot that idea many, many times till you have product market fit as quickly as possible so you don't run out of money. And when you finally have product market fit and it's really taking off, now you need money to expand. That's the time to go to venture capital, PE firms, hedge funds, perhaps banks, if you've really got growth, right? Lots of choices there for capital to, for growth. So capital for growth is the time to raise money, right? There are other examples where you've got deep R&D, you know, open AI needed $10 billion to develop ChatGPT, right? right? So they had to go to Microsoft and others, and that's sort of a different thing. Uh, but but in the end, you're going to have to raise money. And, and um, in order to raise money from venture capital, you don't just send out business plans. You actually have to know people who know people in the venture capital world. Because the only people they fund 99% of the time are friends of friends. Like if, if, if I know, and I know a lot of VCs, I funded a lot of companies, I'm on the board of a company, I can at least get a meeting. That does not mean we're going to get funded, but it does mean I can get a meeting and I got a chance of getting funded, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but as someone who's an unknown, never, never going to get funded from a venture capitalist. You got to get people on your board who are yeah. experts. In- and, that, and that's a key point because, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you're, you're sort of saying it's not the idea or the business concept that they're funding. They're backing the people that are running it. They're backing the people that are running it. Look, yeah. even when I'm on the board of a company and I'm on many boards and I've done 30 plus boards, I think, when I'm on the board of a company, and I call up a VC and I say, hey, I want you to look at this. They will look, but in the end, they're actually not funding me. They're taking the meeting because of me, but they're funding that CEO. Yeah. And some CEOs are imminently fundable. They're like, especially, by the way, those from the military. There are a lot of VCs that love the, the, um, the people that come out of the military because there's a certain both leadership and followership that exists. You know when to follow and you know when to lead, right? Yeah. And you know when to follow. It's like, the, you know, the general said this, this is what I do. Right. This is what I do or I'm going to the brig, right? This, this is what I have. This is what I'm trained to do. Right. General says we're going over the hill in the morning. Okay. We are. I, I don't question that. Right. I don't question that. I can't question it or we, we can't get over the hill. We're going to die. Right. So, so I think many VCs love uh, having ex-military people in the lead of a company because they understand leadership. And they understand followship. They understand both. Both are important. You can't just be a leader and be blind to following the people above you. So there's, there's that. But, but there are a lot of people who, you know, they're the founder of this company and they're the CEO. And they're just not fundable as a CEO. They're not, now, the CEO doesn't have to know everything, doesn't have to be the technical expert, doesn't have to be IT, doesn't have to be product expert and everything. 
But the CEO's got to know how to lead. And there are just people who have founded these things and get to a certain point. And no matter how much I work with them and train them and try to do what I can, you put them in front of a VC and they call me, they say, this is a great idea, Kevin, and I really love it, that I can't fund that person. We're just not comfortable that that person is going to lead this business to be a billion dollar business, right? Yeah. Half a billion dollar business, whatever it is. And, and I can't overcome that. It's like in the end, they are really funding that person. And that person, you know, when you go, when you go in to get funding, real funding, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, you go in and yes, you've got your plan and yes, you've got your product. But in the end, they're looking at you going, is this the person who's, gonna, who's going to continue to change and evolve the product plan to meet what the market needs are? Are they humble enough to step back? Are they aggressive enough to win and go for the jugular? But are they humble enough to say, I also know when I'm wrong and then I've got to correct. And in fact, it's my nature to do so, right? So they're looking at the personality, even subconsciously, and they're making decisions really in a few minutes. Is this someone I want to fund or is is it someone I can have a drink with? Is this someone I really like? Or is this someone I want to get out of my office, right? (laughs) These are important things and people don't think of it. Well, I've got the best business model. No, you don't. They they're going to see that person that you're talking to sees a thousand business plans this year and they're only going to fund two. Really? You got to be in the 0.2%. You got to be that good. Yeah. That comes down to your personality, your IQ, and your more than that, even your EQ. You yeah. don't have to know everything, but you got to know what you know and what you don't know. And you got to be humble. Isn't that amazing? I think, I think uh, the new emotional, uh, the, the EQ, the emotional quotient. Yeah. Military folks, veterans tend to be re- have really high EQs because there's so much socialization packed in a short amount of time you're in the military, whether you're in for a four-year enlistment or 30 years. Right, right. Military folks, there's so much living that they've in leadership failure and experience that they in leadership ex- failure and um, success that they've that they've been a part of that their EQ tends to be really high. And I think yeah. their EQ is high. And their, their durable skills or their soft skills are really high, typically. Right. They're Those not, are important. Yeah. Critical. Yeah. You can't be a good leader without it. You got to listen to the people below you. You got to, but you're also going to make hard decisions. In every startup that I founded, you know, I brought in friends. I brought in great people. They got it so far. But, but what got you here won't get you there, as Marshall Goldsmith says. And, the, the, and, and, and so that means that at a certain time, that person that you may have hired they crushed it, but they reached their limit. Sure. And you're going to have to let go of people who became your friends and, and, and tell them they've done a wonderful job. They need to move on. We're bringing in someone else who has the next level of experience. So someone who can get you to 10 million in revenue probably can't get you to 100 million. The person who got you to 100 million probably can't get you to a billion. Is a different skill set. Very rarely can people cross those and they're that good where they've got it all the way up. Usually, Part of the reason is if you built a billion dollar company, you're not going to go work for someone who's at 1 million. It's like, so you can't attract those people, right? But those people you're going to need five years from now, but you can't get them today. So you're going to cycle through lots of people in sales in marketing in every aspect all the way up that ladder until, uh, and so you got to be okay with hiring. You got to be okay with firing. And it's probably over a decade ago that there was a really good article about that. It said that the, the chances or the number of times an actual founder who, who founds, who starts the business from scratch, takes it all the way through the different wickets of raising money and going public and becoming a multi-billion dollar company, the Zuckerbergs, the Bill Gates, right. those stories are so rare because everybody has a skill set. You're, 
you're in the zero to 1 million. This guy's in the one to 10 million range. Right. That's right. Whatever your zone of comfortableness or skill set is, that's where you thrive. And if, if you're the guy who, who's really good at starting them up and getting them to a certain point and you just can't get beyond that, that's okay. You, you, you sell out, it you, is. you let you, you find someone and let, let them take that's it with right. you. And then you go back and start another one. You know, you just have to the know right founders, the founders with humility who are humble are the first to say, I took this to 5 million in revenue, 10 million in revenue, whatever it is. I want to initiate uh, the hiring of a CEO to replace me. And I will become a board member, maybe chair, maybe the chief strategy officer, maybe the chief technology officer, whatever it is. But I need a CEO to come in and take it from 10 million to 100 million. And even at 100 million, I might need a different CEO to take it the rest of the way. Yeah. And where founders get in trouble, I see it all the time is they get it to a certain point and they say, well, no one else can do what I do. Therefore, I'm never relinquishing this job. Right. Okay. Boards don't like that, you know, because in the end you report to the board who reports the shareholders. And in the end, you know what, as a board member, what I want to see is someone giving it their all and giving with all the experience they have. But when they know that, that, that the growth of the company is now dependent on a different skill set, they want to back off and say, I'm going to take a different role. I really, really want an expert in here. Because in the end, as a founder, what you want is that company to be worth the maximum amount it ever could be. And to think if you think you're the person who can get it there, I maybe, but it's a rarity. You would think that's what people would want. But I see it in small Ego. businesses all the time. The small business owner they're frazzled because every decision relies on them. And then you try to pull decision-making ability away from them and give them relief on that. And they freak out because right. they're actually addicted or they love the concept yeah. that everything sure. relies on them. And again, in the military, we, in, in, in leadership, we have a saying in the Marine Corps, kind of a harsh saying, he said, if you're a leader and you take a round in the grape, I mean, in your head, and your unit falls apart, then you haven't done your job as a leader. Your, your, your organization should run just fine without you. That means you've done your job as a leader. And in business, right. I see it all the time. So I see smaller businesses, they just love everything, every decision, be relying on them. And their business is never going to grow beyond them. They're the limit, limiting factor. That's right. That's right. And if that's what they want, that's a lifestyle business. They should do that. It's, There's nothing wrong with lifestyle businesses. Just say, that's what I want is a lifestyle business. I don't want to grow something that's going to make me, you know, whatever amount of money. By the way, there are excellent lifestyle businesses that we all know what they are, like uh, contracting, you know, sure. commercial contractors who are built over three generations of family. That is a lifestyle business that the, the, the leader of those businesses that may employ 3000 people at any time, they will keep the leadership in the family. And they're never going to have really an exit. They're just going to take home millions of dollars every single year for the rest of their lives, the rest of their son's lives, the rest of his son's lives or, or, or daughter or whatever. Right. And so, and that's a lifestyle business. Say That's what I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow a lifestyle business for my family. Great. That's okay too. Nothing wrong with that. There are great lifestyle businesses. Unfortunately, most lifestyle businesses don't make that kind of money. You have to really get a good one, right? They, yeah. there was a great article just a week or two ago, I think New York times where all these people have gone out and, and done, um, you know, these Pilates uh, studios and, 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 and they got a, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? Syndicated. Uh, you don't call it. That is uh franchised. Yeah. Franchise. So they yeah. get a franchise, they open the Pilates studio. Well, 
only a really, really, really high-performing Pilates studio will net the owner 100K a year, and that is the highest performing. Okay, that's the top. Probably yours is going to lose you money. (laughs) And so they they were talking about all of these uh, women who got excited about Pilates and then said, I can open my own studio, and they got a franchise. They opened the studio, and it's bleeding them dry because they're they're working, you know, 100 hours a week, and they're losing 50K a year on it because they actually don't know how to run a Pilates studio. Because running the studio is different than doing Pilates. They're very good yeah. at doing it. Running a studio is a business. It is a financial business. You need X amount of people on those uh, Pilates reformers uh, through X amount of classes. And the numbers are the numbers, right? We can calculate what that is. Oh, yeah. So if you don't know how to advertise and get more people in there and fill those classes at 40 bucks a head per class and you've got 12 slots and, and you've got you know, 10 classes a day, if you don't do those numbers, there's no money at the end. No one at the end. It isn't a lifestyle business. It's a losing business, right? It's like, yeah. like, like, like buying a winery. Okay, that the fastest way to a million dollars is put ten million into a winery. That is the <laughs> fastest way to a million dollars. That's what they right? say. In aviation, nine million yeah. is nine million's gone. Right. Hey, all right. So, Kevin, let's shift gears here a little bit. You've got a lot of knowledge and heavily involved in some things going on with AI and ChatGPT. I have a ChatGPT account. I just haven't used it in a long time. So. Let's talk about that. There's a lot of cool stuff going on and some scary stuff. Yeah, look, I think, I think people are confused, scared. Some people are accepting it. But I want people to think of it this way. You know, we have had math tools since at least the 80s, you know, 70s calculators, 80s Excel spreadsheet, right? And when the spreadsheet came around, if you were in finance, you looked at that and said, my job is over. It's over. <laughs> But it turns out the job was just starting because yeah. it changed all of their lives from using pencils and ledger books to using a spreadsheet. And the masters of the spreadsheet went on to do very, very well in finance, right? And, um, and so I want people to think of language models as that. It took 40 more years to get a model for language, but now we have a model for language. And I know it spooks us because, oh, the computer's speaking my language. It used to be computers spoke only in computer language. And only coders could make it do things. And now I can make it do things. And these models are huge and they cost billions of dollars to create. But we have a a model of the English language that learned from everything we ever wrote on the web, which is trillions of tokens. And so I can ask questions or have a conversation. It will speak to me in English. Well, that's just a language model. And it's a tool no different than Excel for math, right? We use Excel. We don't even think of it. We use Word. We use these. Now I have a language model that I can go to and say, um, I'm, I'm going to, for instance, you may choose to take this podcast and, uh, and do speech to text and take that text and feed it to chat GPT and say, summarize this text for me. And it will summarize and say, it's a podcast and I need a summary. That's a hundred words. It will do that. Not that you couldn't, but it would take you hours to do it because you have to re-listen to the podcast and you have to take yeah. notes and you have to do all that. It'll take it. I don't know. 10 seconds five seconds. This is a great tool because you were actually adding very little value. The truth is summarizing your podcast. There's a machine that now summarizes a podcast. Great. I'm going to let it summarize it. Why, why do I need to do that? I don't need to do that. There's a lot of things that we don't need to do. Write blog posts. Yes. There are people who take great pride in writing blog posts. Humans will no longer write blog posts. If you are in marketing and advertising and you think you're still writing that content, you're living in a different world because Companies are only hiring people who are experts at using large language models today 
to do that because yeah. now I can write my blog post in 30 seconds. I can uh, edit it in, in 10 minutes and post it. I'm not going to spend two days doing it now. And no one's going to, no one's going to pay you to spend two days doing it when there's a machine that does it under human control in a matter of seconds. Yeah, it's different. I'm not asking AI to, to do the podcast interview for me. I'm asking it to summarize something that I've already done, which is a big That's difference. Right. Look, you're still in control. Yeah. Human, you're prompting it. You're telling it what you want. You're telling it that you didn't like it and to do it again, regenerate it, et cetera. You're editing what comes out. You are in control, but you're no longer down there in the weeds. All right. So yeah. there's big questions like, will our kids ever need to write in the way that we think of writing, whether it's a novel or a blog post or something? You know, probably not. Will our, but, but I'll ask you a question, Joe, how often, uh, or how recently, have you done long division by pencil? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Because there's a machine that has been doing that since the 70s now, calculator and then Excel. And so we have machines. We don't, we don't even think about doing long division. The fact that we taught our kids how to do long division is interesting, but they'll never do it again in their life, in their life, not even in an emergency. I can ask the phone to do it for me, my phone, okay? No one does long division anymore. Why? doesn't need to be done. There's a machine that does it. So now there's a machine that writes for us. Okay. So is anyone going to have to write? Well, surely there will be amazing novelists that still write. But there's no question that even today, I can get large language models to write portions or entire scripts based on my input, uh, based on my editing, clean it up. Um, I can change the storyline. I can do all that. But the actual words are being written by a machine that has read every novel available to it, which is why it knows about love and hate and all those things, as well as every fact and fiction given to it as well. What an amazing tool. And I think everyone needs to look at it that way and stop thinking the way accountants did in 1985 when they saw the spreadsheet and said, my job's over. No, life isn't over as you know it. Life yeah. is going to get better as you know it. Interesting. When something is written by AI or chat GPT, let's say a blog article or, or, or a podcast summary, yeah. can a person look at it or can another AI bot look at it and detect whether it was written by a human or whether it was written by oh, AI? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, so we have developed some tools that are trying to flag whether it was written by a human or written by a large language model. Uh, some are very easy to spot. Like I can spot certain things because I know what to look for. Um, some are very hard to spot, even by another large language model that's testing it, that says, I'm not sure. So I think we're going to enter a world where you cannot be sure if a large language model wrote it, if it was edited or not edited by a human. And by the way, most blog posts that are getting written by LLMs are then edited by a human anyway, because for tone and for different words, yeah, you might change some things, check. and this wasn't completely accurate. And so it's a, it's a mishmash anyway, right? But But that... You know, deep fakes, I mean, deep fakes are getting harder and harder to know whether it was done, uh, you know, because we're also talking about images here. I've been talking about large language models, but images work on the same principle. And we're generating images, uh, you know, I can generate an image of you in a place that you should have never been, for example. Yeah. Um, I can put you in the middle of Moscow, uh, having nothing but a picture. Of course, you go, that's scary, except I could have put you in the, in the middle of Moscow 20 years ago with Photoshop. I just needed Photoshop skills, which I happen to have. And Hollywood could do it certainly for the last 50 years, put you in the middle of someplace you've never been, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we have trusted that Hollywood, of course, doesn't misuse that. We've trusted that, you know, there's this bar of you got to be pretty good at Photoshop to place someone there or you can really see it's Photoshop. But if they're really good at Photoshop, you can't tell. And that's been that way for 20 years. But now anyone can take a picture of you and stick you in the middle of Moscow, just like that. Anyone for not even a penny. That's what's scary because now the bar to do this is so low that anyone in the world can basically do it just by asking the machine to do it. And that's a little scary, but it is what it is. It is what it is. We're going to live with it. And um, even videos, you know, deep fake videos now are quite easy to make. Again, I can put myself anywhere dancing in a movie or whatever, but, um, and, but Hollywood's been able to do that for years. This isn't new. It's just new that it's free. Used to be a million dollars. Now it's free. Yeah. So talk a little bit about with AI entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, new, new entrepreneurs, business owners, small business owners. How can they use that to their advantage? How, how do they use AI in a proper way to further their business? Sure. Uh, so many ways. You can ask it about your business. Is this a good business idea? It'll tell you. Has anyone else done something like this? How would you improve it? Like, it'll have its opinions, right? Right? ChatGPT will have its opinions. But, but let's look at blog posts. Let's look at advertising. Let's look at data sheets, right? All those things can now be generated by Gen AI and use it for that. Um, you're doing your presentation for, uh, say, a pitch deck or something uh, or for whatever. And um, you say, boy, I need some graphics that's exactly like this. Have Gen AI generate it for you. you. As long as you can describe it, it'll generate it. And when it generates, you say, well, I like that, but not exactly. I want this changed. Okay. No, I want this speaker on top of this and I want this over here. No problem. It'll just do it. Okay, so you have a graphic artist at your disposal coming from your brain, yeah. but you don't have to draw. You have an expert writer, a, an expert in the English language uh, that can write anything that you ask it. And off it goes. This is, you've never had such tools. You as an entrepreneur can be five times, 10 times more productive than you've ever been, and you don't have to hire outside resources to do all that. This is an amazing time to be alive. That's what I would say, right? Yeah. Now, how good do you have to get at chat GPT? Because I've, I've logged into my account when it first came out and I said, write me an article about whatever. And it would kind of, it would do it, but I never really took it farther than that. So how extensive do you, you want to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, um, prompting is a whole class. We could spend an hour on just prompting, but here's what I would say. Give it much more, much, much, much more than you think. Not, not write me an article on this. No, write me an article on this in this tone. Here's the background. Please take from this information. Here's some additional information I'd like to reference. Here's the tone that I'd like it in. Uh, write, it, uh, you know, write it in the style of Albert Einstein for this particular audience. Then you're going to get something that's really powerful, okay, that, that is more to your liking. So your prompts can be highly verbose. And the more you pr- put in as the prompt and the more data you give it, the better your outcome is. So um, you can even take a, former, a prior blog post and say, here's a blog post I wrote a year ago. And, and you quote it, uh, please, in the style of that blog post right now about the snow in the Northeast and how it's going to be beautiful for Christmas, whatever. And it'll do that in that style, in your style, right? This is the kind of thing that you want to give these things. Wow. And, and you will get out what you want. Can you actually have chat GBT? Will, will it actually write you know, an extensive, if you're going to do like an extensive, uh, what, what comes to mind? My, my wife's a grant writer. So Will it put together a 50-page grant, like if you give it enough information? Or was it if you give it enough information, 
there are some limits on uh, how many words it'll put out today only because they put a limit on it, right? Oh, yeah. But in theory, large language models, if not that one, Bard, if not that, another one, um, will produce as long of a th- including a novel, write a 200-page novel, here, you know, here's all the inputs, right? So I've never asked to write 50 pages, but it'll write many pages, and it will write grants. And, um, and you can say, here are, here, is, you know, here are the salient points. This is what I want to get across. These are the points I need to make. Here's an example of a grant. I need a new grant that is even more powerful that guarantees I'm going to get the grant. <laughs> yeah. And it'll do a great job. Like, write me an ad that, that gets me more uh, clicks than any other ad that's available. And it'll try to do that. So that's what I, I guess that's what I'm, I'm getting at or trying to, f- trying to get my mind around here is you can say things to it like, go use these references to write this grant. Or when you say write an article that gets more clicks than any other article, it actually knows what you're talking about. Like, yes. I mean, that's a pretty high level thing for a computer to know what you just said. Like not, not when it learned a trillion phrases. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Wow. So really, if you're in any kind of a business that requires customers, which pretty much every business requires customers, you got to look at this AI in chat GBT and somehow integrate it in there. One way. Everything you do. I'll give you a great example of what you can do is in your case, your wife comes home. She's had a bad day of grant writing, right? She says, Joe, this is, this is a, this is a bad day. And you go, well, Hey, it's good because I thought I might make you this dinner. Why would you think I'd want that dinner? Why would I want that dinner? That is my, you know, now there's lots of things you could say back. I don't even know you that well, you know, but, but stop and ask chat GPT. Here's what my wife said. We're in the midst of an argument. What I want to keep my relationship. I want to grow my relationship. What should I say back? And the response is like having a psychiatrist next to you, right? It's unbelievable. It's like, first of all, <laughs> oh, apologize immediately. <laughs> it's what were you thinking? You're right. What was I thinking? I know you don't like that. I'd rather take you out, honey. You know, whatever it is, right? I mean, <laughs> what, what comes back is amazing recommendations. Really? So you need to look at this as an amazing recommender. Here is my business plan. How can I improve it? That is powerful. And you've, and you've got access to that kind of power. That's crazy. Uh, now, yeah. chat GPT specifically, as you said, it, they did put some limitations on it because it's basically free, right? You know, a lot of what I'm talking about, you want to do with a paid version, uh, which is, you know, GPT Pro or whatever. And I, I think it's okay. 20 bucks a month or something. Okay. And so it, it takes you to a whole new level. Um, ultimately, they give you the free model just to kind of play with it. But if you're going to get serious, you got to do the paid model, right. which is uh, still look, a good deal. Playing with it gets you almost nowhere because you put in a few things. And you don't take the time to really learn how to get what you want out of it. When you've got real business to do, you start taking the time to learn how to give it more and more and more information up front <clears throat> and you take its output seriously. And then for your 20 bucks a month, if you got one thing out, you go, this saved me, you know, uh, 50 hours. And you go, what's my time worth? Oh yeah. You know, $10 an hour, 20, 50, I don't know, pick hundred dollars an hour, pick your poison. It saved you thousands of dollars of your time. You can never get your time back ever. So your time is the most valuable thing. It is a great time saver as long as you learn how to prompt it properly to get what you want. Same with images, right? Mid-journey, stable diffusion, uh, dolly to whatever. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Well, Kevin, uh, 
unfortunately, we're we're pretty much out of time or gone over time, and we could talk for hours about this stuff. It's good stuff. Um, I do want to give you the last word. Somebody wants to get more information on you and what you're up to. How yeah. do they find you? Yeah, I'm a keynote speaker. I speak 30 or 40 times around the country every year to group all kinds of groups, right? All kinds of groups that really where people want to, uh, you know, build companies or they want to understand uh, disruptive innovation, Silicon Valley, or they want to understand AI, all of those topics. Uh, and it's just kevinsarace.com. You can go to my website. There's a, you know, it'll take you to my LinkedIn. It'll give you a whole bunch of background. So, and I'll answer my, my LinkedIn uh, direct messages. So kevinsarace.com. And you can probably put that in the, in the in little the text below. All right. Sounds great. And one last thing I always, I always like to ask if you're talking to somebody who's on their way out of the military or just got out, maybe even a military spouse. They're really interested in getting into business, getting into entrepreneurship. They might have an idea. They might not, but they know they love entrepreneurship and the concept of it. What kind of advice comes to mind? Make sure that the pain point that you think is there is really there. Go talk to 20 people. I've got this idea. By the way, everyone you talk to always says, oh, it's a great idea. I've never heard of such a great, stop. It's going to sell for this much. Tell me about your pain point and would you buy it? Would you buy it? Yeah. And you got to go out to people you don't even know, right? You got to get that feedback. It's all about feedback. It's all about finding real, real pain points that people are willing to pay to stop, right? To pay to stop, whatever that is. Like, I'm not getting good sleep. I have a solution for that. People will pay to get good sleep. I'm just giving you an example, right? right. That you know. Will people pay, you know, to have the corn on the cob be a different color? Probably not, right? I'm just, I'm making these up, yeah. but you get the point. Great so idea. Find Would real pain points. <laughs> yeah. Find real pain points. Don't think your idea is right. Uh, it's just the start of a spark of something that will lead you to real pain points that people with money want to hand over their money to you. Now you got something. Absolutely. Awesome. Sage advice. All right, Kevin, uh, thanks for an awesome interview. Just uh, a wealth of information and, and good stuff. So, Hopefully uh, we can get you back on the show in the near future. And uh, absolutely. Right. Thanks Joe. All right. We're Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to veteran on the move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>